G'day, wonderful people, and welcome to another episode of The Finnovator with me, Stuart Bell. I am the founder of Adere Coaching Consulting. I am the creator of the Leverage Advice Firm program, and I'm a business coach who works with financial experts, typically advisors, brokers, accountants, or anybody who puts their know-how to work to help other people. And The Finnovator is kind of my opportunity to share uh, the great conversations I've had with either uh, members of the, the programs who have achieved great results in the business, uh, people have got really interesting stories to tell because they do business slightly differently or they've had experiences or they've grown differently and subject matter experts who really know their stuff. And my guest today is someone who kind of ticks all of those boxes, to be honest. Chris Yenna from Boringle Financial Services is really one of those people who's got such an interesting story behind it, but also uh, he's been in the industry long enough that he can spot the truth from the fallacies and he knows what to do and what not to do and a bunch more as you're going to find out from this. Uh, I have known Chris for 15 years. Uh, we, we've played football together. Uh, admittedly, he is a far better footballer than I am. He uh, actually played professionally for Crystal Palace. Uh, we're both Spurs fans, uh, which means when we did this, we're actually wearing our, our, our Spurs tops. Sorry if I've put, uh, put off anybody out there who's not. Uh, but we worked together for many, many years at Hill Ross. One of my biggest, uh, biggest things they'll never forget and never let me forget is now during my first week at working at Hill Ross, I came in and promised that I would implement some quick wins. There's a note for yourself. Uh, implementing quick wins in corporate is never easy. Yep, lesson learned. Uh, but uh, this webinar or this uh, podcast, I should say, I wanted to dive deep and I wanted to dive deep on a particular topic. We called it the sweeper system. For those who don't know what a sweeper is, uh, a sweeper is a position in football, and it's usually someone who sits at the very back of your defensive line and runs the game. They pass, they do everything, but they're usually in behind. They're the controller, kind of like the quarterback. And the kind of business that Chris has built is exactly this. After many, many years in the industry, uh, working in corporate, he made the decision to buy a business, and he jumped in and built a business that's systematized, technology-backed, uh, where he isn't actually the person that needs to see staff. Uh, he's the brains in behind the operations, the one that makes a flow. And as a result, he has actually built a system that I think anybody who has a vaguest bit of interest in running, running or building a business that can grow without them needs to know. And in this one, we dive deep into the technology he's used, the skills he's uh, had to build, what he does do and what he doesn't do, uh, the mistakes along the way. And I think what you can get from this uh, are some real insights into systematization and uh, removing the key person dependency as well as, frankly... Uh, Chris's own straight-talking, honest way of talking about uh, his journey and the industry. I hope you really enjoy this one. I, I do. It's been 15 years in the making. So let's jump in. Uh, let's have a chat with Chris. And this is The Sweeper System. Chris is an old, old friend. I mean, we've known each other for a while, as well as being really old. No, he's not that old, honestly. And uh, yeah, I've, we've been chatting about doing this for a while. Yeah, I first had the opportunity to meet Chris back in Hill Ross days when I joined. Uh, and uh, he was one of those people who is actually, you know, ribs you, banter, all the rest of it, but was incredibly supportive right from day one. And uh, the sort of friendships continued. And uh, we've had the opportunity to do some work together. Uh, we've had the opportunity to play football together. Uh, we've had the opportunity to do so much stuff together where it just made sense to kind of uh, flow over. Uh, what you're going to get from Chris, uh, he is, oh, I'll give you a bit of a background, 25 years in the industry both in the corporate world and in the SME world, which I think is really, really useful. Currently general manager of Ringle FS Financial Services. And the approach he's taken to the business is one about systematizing. And the reason it's called the sweeper system, for those of you who are familiar with football, uh, Arsenal fans wouldn't be, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move past that anyway. Uh, used to be, maybe. Anyway, moving on. A sweeper in football is generally the last defender uh, on the pitch. And it's a, it's a fairly niche position. The person who plays it needs to be skilled. They need to be a great reader of the game. They need to be a great passer. But what essentially the sweeper does is he can see everything from the back and he tends to run the game. There have been some fabulous sweepers throughout, uh, throughout sort of the history of football. And therefore, when we're talking about this webinar, we, I thought that concept of uh, understanding what it takes to drive a financial planning business from behind the scenes. In other words, to have that business that is highly systematized, that you can manage the system, make sure it all works, spot things that are going on, and equally importantly, not have to see clients if that's not what you want to do. And that's essentially what, uh, what Chris has built. And we're going to dive into how he did it, 
uh, where, he, where it came from, and equally importantly, the systems that he put in place, including how he sort of leveraged Xplan. And we're going to talk, because he's a big power user of Xplan. I know Xplan is one of those things that uh, a lot of people struggle with. So it's always good to sort of put to one side all the gripes and understand how somebody who has adapted and has used it has managed to make it work. What you also need to know about Chris as well as, as well as uh, business owner, as well as working with advice firms, he's also an elite sports person, uh, professional football back in the day. Uh, in addition, he is a fully qualified, let's get this right, elite coach accredited by the Australian Sports Commission and the Victorian Institute of Sport. And a lot of what we talked, we've spoken about through the years is how the link between what he does with the business, as well as what he does when he coaches, as well as what he does uh, you know, as a sports, there's so much uh, sort of integration between that. So, Chris, you there? I'm here. Mate, how are you? <laughs> Spurs. Oh, I love it. What a weekend. No, it's just the longest intro in history. Hey, oh, you like that? That was good. I was I about to feel drop- old, 25 years. Mate, I was about to drop in with the whole, let's have some quick wins to start it off. <laughs> Get rid of that corporate speak, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the story behind that is when I first arrived at Hill, I just stood in front of the whole team and I said, I want to get some quick wins. And Chris just burst out laughing. And uh, a year later, I think I was still trying to get the quick wins. So you came true. Yeah, that was lovely. <laughs> Good way to start. Yeah, you learn, you learn quick. You do, mate. I, I find it like, well, let's just talk about the Spurs thing because football's a big part of your life. You actually, you know, you're a North London boy originally, aren't you? Yeah, well, I'm East End, but uh, my whole family were... And sorry to bore everyone with, with the real football oh. chat, but my whole family were Arsenal supporters. So just to give them the shits, I went for Spurs. And uh, yeah, I've been a Spurs fan ever since. So yeah, that it's a great, so great day on Sunday morning. That is so unlike you to just do something to give people the shits, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my old man never forgave me, I don't think. No, mate, I, we were talking on the phone the other day and we'll, we'll get off the football speak. So, and I was saying, I, just, I can't, I, it feels like only yesterday when Spurs had to beat Wimbledon to stay up in the Premier League, and here we are, kind of pinching mm. myself a little bit. So anyway, dude, let's... I do remember that. I do remember that. I believe it was the year that Jürgen Kinson came back and scored the goals. Anyway, let's ditch the football speak, despite the fact... Enough of that. Enough it's of a that. glorious, glorious weekend. And let's get stuck into uh, chatting about things. Man, we've known each other a while. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I guess, you know what, while we've had conversations in fits and starts, I, I really want to dive in today, not just about the X-Plan, but talking about sort of bit about how you sort of this journey of yours. So for those who don't, you know, know where you came from, you know, what the business is all about. First, tell us a bit about Ringo. What kind of business is it? Who do you work with? Who do you help? How big is it? Yeah. So we, we call ourselves a general advisory firm. We're <coughs> in-house specialty. So we're not, uh, we don't specialize in self-managed super funds, but we do them. We don't specialize in aged care, but we've got, you know, specialist accreditation advisors here who work in that. We, you know, we can do everything from cash flow through to direct equities. So, um, and we just want to work with people who want to take advice. So, um, from that perspective, we're not a, an open church. We're, we're quite selective, but at the same time, we don't, uh, we're not, a, I wouldn't call us a niche operator. Okay. So, there's a distinction between that. So, yeah, we're an inch wide. We're not an inch wide, mile deep. You know, we're a mile wide, inch deep type, type business. Love it. So, I mean, obviously, you're not from around here originally. Can you give us the story as to how you managed to end up in financial services in, in Sydney, uh, in Melbourne? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting story. My very first job when I was 15, I didn't quite get through school. Well, when I was 15, I, I worked uh, at a general insurance mob called Legal and General, and I was just pushing papers. But next door were the Prudential guys, and they used to drive big white Jags, and, you know, nice smart suits, and they looked the business, you know. And I thought, I'll have something to sell some of that. And... Um, and anyway, I cut a long story short. I didn't. I didn't become a professional footballer for long. Uh, I was good, but not good enough. And uh, I went travelling, and I met someone in Australia and decided to immigrate to Australia. So when I came to Australia, um, I needed to get a job fairly quick. And so there were loads of sales jobs back in '89, '90 in financial services. Apparently, there was some uh, stock market crash that led to that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I happened to see um, an ad for um, for the good old AMP. And so I applied and lo and behold, uh, I got that job. I think I would have taken anyone just quietly. But um, so that got me into insurance sales. And I learned a lot of good <coughs> things and, and a lot of not so good things in that process. Okay. Um, I bought a business, sold a business. And then I didn't really know what to do. And uh, my manager at the time, um, 
uh, Paul Nicola, great man, uh, says to me, why don't you come into management? And I said, oh, mate, I don't do that. Only failed advisors become managers. <laughs> and um, he said, no, have a crack. So I went through the process and I went through, it was a ridiculous amount of uh, interviews and, and processing stuff. But anyway, I got to the end and I thought, well, I'm not going to let these buggers tell me I can't have this job. So, mm. you know, I went all in and I got that role and I was there for, for seven years in AMP and uh, made some made some great friends and it's it's actually quite a crying shame to see what's happened to them because um, uh, they were at one stage a very, very good business but uh, unfortunately lost their way. And then I was fortunate enough to move into Hillross, which is where you and I met. Yeah. Um, it's uh, And I had a wonderful time there and and that was really the grounding for me. I, I saw some really, really good operators um, and that's one of the advantages of being in a corporate. You, you get to see what works uh, you get more so to see what doesn't work, but also you get put through a load of really, really good courses that at the time you think, what the, what the F am I doing here? He's a boring as batch. It's like doing year seven maths and thinking, you know, I'm never going to use this. Mm. But eventually you do. You get, you get to a stage where you, you build up a, a skill set and you don't know that skill set until you actually have to put it into place. And that normally happens when you have a change of career. Yeah. And so, um, that led me to, you know, I've, I've been there 15 years in corporate and, you know, I enjoyed it, but I was, I was getting stale and I was, I was just safe and, and happy and I was starting to become one of the people that I used to dislike in corporate, so I didn't want to do that. So I looked for a, an opportunity and I, I love financial <laughs> services, I love people, um, love working with people, love seeing yeah. people succeed and so there was an opportunity uh, to look at this business, um, which I did. Uh, took us 18 months to cement the deal, so um, I won't go into the intricacies of that, but it's, it's good to take your time because where you start is important. Um, and, yeah, nine years later, sorry, eight years later, uh, 2011, 2019, so May 2011 I bought this business. Yep. Um, we're vastly different to what we were, even though we might have a lot of the same clients. And so, yeah, we've been on a wonderful journey. Um and it is a we. It's, it, this is not something you can do on your own. You need, you need support either internally or externally. You need support, and I think you're kidding yourself if you know you can succeed on your own. I think those those sort of days are numbered. And being involved in team sport all my life, I've never really, I've never really been good at stuff on my own. Yeah, I've always needed support of teammates, and um, you know I'm the type of bloke who plays better in a better team. Yeah, and so I was. That's what I've tried to do here, and I'm very fortunate. We've got some wonderful people working in our business. It, it's funny. I'm my background is rugby. Um, Rachel's background is swimming, and the difference in my like the difference in the way we view things. She's obviously very individually trained hard, whereas I'm I'm more about you know that team environment. I, I think it does shape a lot of things when you see the difference. You can you can spot the people who are uh, individual that come from individual sporting backgrounds versus those who they've just grown up around teams. You really can yeah. everything. And look, each, each personality has its role. You can have very individual, single-minded people in your business. Yes. But, you know, success through others is just, is just so much more rewarding. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a better environment for me. For me too, for me too. Let me ask, I want to, I want to sort of take it back to um, the corporate thing because I read a study many years ago when I was launching uh, the Startup Incubator by the Kaufman Institute, which said that, it talked about the average age of first-time founders that made a success of it, which is a lot older than people think. But it said that 75% of successful business founders, they come from a corporate background because they get that sort of, as you said, the grounding. They get to try things out. They don't necessarily have to go do the hard yards yeah. and burn their own money. But I'd love to know, you know, obviously all that time of corporate would have given you a sense of, of what kind of business you you wanted to build and the kind of business that just wasn't for you. Can you give us an, an essence of maybe or a couple of examples of, of what you learned that helped you come out and go, well, yeah. now I know what Wrangle's going to be. I, I was very fortunate very early on in my <laughs> corporate career to come across Jim Stackpole uh, before Jim Stackpole had um, a SCAT, Strategic Consulting and Training, and, and we affectionately named him Scat Cat. And, you know, I still... <laughs> Hated it. I still th- Hated it. Yeah. He hated it, yeah. I still think of him as a, as a good friend of mine. And uh, I spent a lot of time with him. And it, the learnings I got from, from that, because, again, he'd seen loads of businesses that I had. Mm. And so talking to people who've had that experience, you get to hear 
the stories that don't work. And so you think, okay, well, you know, why didn't it work? Was it, was it people? Was it process? Um, was there another reason? Was it just the wrong time? Because some of the ideas you hear, really, and you start to realize, you know what, there's a common thing here. They don't work because they just don't work. So mm. sometimes you're better off not to waste your time. And so in small business, time, time is everything. And, and you, you know, one week in a corporate, in, in a, sorry, one week in a small business is like four months in a corporate. It's, you know, things move very quickly. So having, having exposure to seeing what people did really well um, and the biggest one was structure. Those that had a structure in place around delivering advice, around delivering service, around, um, you know, delivering anything really. If you have a look at, um, you have a look at any business that you go into, you know, mm. office works or uh, Maccas or um, look how systemized they are. Um, to deliver, you know, an experience. Um, yeah. There's still people there. there there's no, there, there's, people are still heavily involved in the process, but they're not the process. The process is systemized. Yeah. The person delivers. And so good businesses did that. They didn't spend a lot of time in administration. They mm. didn't spend a lot of time, um, you know, not doing client facing work. So, um, one of the big things I picked up from Jim was that if you're not spending 60% or more of your time in front of a client, you know, your profitability will suffer. And yeah. so, you know, we, we try and work here to 80 plus percent client time, facing time for our advisors. Okay. So to do that, you, you've got to build a lot of stuff in the background. And if you're, if you're the advisor doing 80% of the client facing time, you don't have 20% of the day is not going to, is not going to cut it to deliver what needs to be delivered. So, you know, to the to your sweeper system, you know, directing things from the back. Mm. You know, when I started this job, I, I mean, I, I love working with people. I actually enjoy speaking with clients. I hate all the compliance and administration work that goes with that. Yep. So I just wanted to add value where I believed I could add the value, and that was in supporting people to succeed. So, um, you know, systemization, process delivery, running interference, all the stuff that everyone on this webinars to deal with every day mm. if you had somebody else taking care of that for you how yeah. much more would you enjoy your role and possibly how much profitable would your role be and i dare say better client outcomes because you're spending time where where the value really is at it's so, sorry long 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 answer to your question um so cut me off because i will just keep going no, no, as you I'm know I was just going to jump in and say, you know, you know, Rachel's dad was a chef for years and years. Yeah. I mean, people talk about the, McDo the McDonald's thing. And if you go into a, uh, you know, a top end kitchen uh, where they've got like properly professional chefs, you will see a business that is just as systematized. Everyone's got their job. They know what they're doing. They've got their stations. Everything's pre-prepped. They're running, they're running it like clockwork. And I think um, the one thing I, I like to bash up against this idea that just because you're structured, that doesn't mean you're cookie cutter. Just because you've got a system doesn't mean the output is going to be low, low quality, quite the opposite. You know, if you're going to deliver a great experience, regardless of whether it's cheap, expensive, fast or, or comprehensive, it's, if you're not, yeah, rest, restaurants are a good example, actually. So I do, as you know, too, you know, my wife, Nikki's uh, runs cooking school. So I see how organized that those people have to be in a kitchen. Mm. Um, but you look at a menu, you can choose what you want. You There's not just one option, you know, but that kitchen needs to deliver whatever comes in. Mm. So that's the generalist advisory firm for me. You know, you don't just turn up to a restaurant and order, you know, steaks. <coughs> there are steak restaurants. There are niche operators. Yeah. Okay. And, and no different to financial services, but they are very systemized and they're systemized mm. for a reason is it drives profit. I mean, the margins are tiny in restaurants. It's really hard yeah. to make money in, in restaurants, so if you can do, as Jamie Oliver just found out. Yeah. Um, mate, I, want, I do want to ask, why generalist? Why not niche? I mean, that, that kind of goes against the grain, which is very unlike you. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I did toy with that. Um, to be honest, I think I'd get bored. Um, I like the variety. Um, so it was definitely a personal choice. We could have become a self-managed super fund specialist. I mean, I have a personal bent towards that. Um, we could have become a risk specialist. We could have become pre-retiree, retiree specialist. I mean, ironically, our business does have a lot of pre-retiree retirees because the people I bought the business for retired in their mid-60s. So obviously, you know, their clients were a lot like them. Um, yeah, I just think variety. For me, doing the same thing every day, um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily enjoy that. They're, 
I like to be able to hear the stories of people, where they've come from, why they have the issues they have, uh, and you get that in a generalist firm. You know, you, yep. you're more open to, you know, to people's all-round issues. So, you know, I, I enjoy that. Okay. Um, just want to circle back on something you mentioned, which was that you didn't want to get stuck in the, um, the compliance. That was, that was one of your motivations when you came in. And yeah. to do it, what do you like? What do you see as being the bad habits, the the things that you do that a lot of advisors, for whatever reason, don't that, that keep them in in that? What are they What are they doing differently? I think a lot of advisors spend a lot of time in areas they don't have <laughs> an expertise in, but probably think they do. And the biggest one I see in that is is portfolio construction. Um, you know, that's a, that's a huge impost on a business um, and it works for some and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that, you know, just be, just, just understand where your strengths are. Um, and I think a lot of people spend a lot of time in, um, in the administration space. So they, they think they're adding value. You know, in our business, we call it tension relieving or goal achieving. So is, is what you're doing just releasing, relieving some tension for you through the day because you can't really be bothered handling the, the difficult stuff? Yeah. Uh, or is what you're doing really goal achieving for you and your client? And if you're critical enough in your own self appraisal of the work you do, it's easy. It's easy to to focus on what matters, um, yeah. because there's a lot of stuff you can, you can't control. And if there's stuff you can control, and you work on stuff that matters, if you work on those two things alone, um, you know you, your business will succeed for for it. So so don't waste your time where you don't add value. Don't waste your time where you don't have expertise outsource it, be prepared to pay for it. It'll free you up to generate more income because you'll be doing what you're good at and you'll be able to pay, be able to charge appropriately for it. And that's, I mean, it's interesting. It's really easy to come in the morning and I do it all the time and you suddenly go, what, what do I get into? And you get into the first thing that's there or you get into the thing that's comfortable as opposed to stopping and going, hold on, do I really need this? Or is that actually, is that actually just, it's almost like melt, it becomes mental chewing. Well, it's the old. It's still one of the best books ever written. Uh, Steve Covey's Seven Habits. You know, is it important or is it urgent? Yeah. You know, like okay. and you know, focus on what's important because uh, sometimes the urgent things aren't really that important. They're urgent for <laughs> someone. They might not be urgent for you. Yeah. But important is tends to be important for most people. So, um, and being able to being able to do that or having the skill or, or learning the skill to do that um, <laughs> is a lot easier said than done. But it is a habit. It is a habit. You can you can teach people to do this, um, and yeah, it's it's not overly difficult. It's not, and you can systemize it too, right? You can. So um, we we don't we're not or I'm not autocratic here. I don't think in that there are some things I absolutely make decisions on, and uh, people might not like. And you mm-hmm. know, quite frankly, I don't give a shit. You know, that's just the way it is, and they they got to get on with it. But, yeah, I'm the gaffer. It's it's that's the way it is. You don't like it, find another team. So from that perspective, though, we hire good people and allow them to make decisions. So they have a lot of autonomy here. Um, and that alone, I don't need to sit there and say, you need to do this, this, and this. They know, we talk about the process, we talk about, you know, it's no different in, the, in my environment where you have a team talk, you set the instructions, everybody knows their role, you go out, play as a unit, and deliver the outcome. And yeah. football, that's to win a game, right? Yeah, in our basis is to put our clients in a better position than when they first came to see us. So it's it's not overly complex. Our industry, and we still are, even though we'd like to talk about being a profession, is is hell bent on overcomplicating everything. And as an owner of a business, you have the ability to tell it to construct that. Uh, I'm not saying you should be non-compliant. Far from it. Uh, we're very compliance tough here commercially client uh, compliance stuff but it has to be it has to be a deliverable for a client and for you as a business hmm. so um I, I lost you this year you still no, 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 i'm here i'm right here george george i thought you'd fallen asleep no no i'm, yes. I'm just you know i look like this normally unfortunately um george has asked he wanted to give a bit of background like a bit of the net metrics because george is a bit of a metrics guy number of advisors support staff number of clients per advisor revenue per advisor as much or as little as you're willing to sort of share. Yeah, happy happy to share everything. Open book here. There's no no secrets. So we have um, three advisors. So if you, I am registered as an advisor mainly so that I can maintain my CFP, mm-hmm. and it also allows me to do seminar work because my role is distribution in. Go right. find the 
go find the clients, get them back to the factory, uh, and then let the let, let the people who have the skill deliver the advice. So, um, but if you don't count me, there are three other advisors. Uh, they have a responsibility for between 100 to 120 uh, clients each. Uh, our ongoing revenue for across that book is about 1.3, 1.4 mil. We have funds under advice of close to 200, uh, 200 mil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, two support staff in the office. We have one offshore and we have an outsourced power planner. We don't do any power planning work uh, internally. So that's our structure. Um, board of advice that sits above that who, you know, tell me I'm an idiot at times, tell me, you know, I've got my head up my proverbial, uh, which is their job. Um, but ultimately, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a cleaner structure as we have. Chris, let's dive into um, Warringal because that's a yep. phenomenal background. Day one, you walk in the office. There's stuff going, there's stuff that the business has got and in your head, there's stuff that you want it to have. Talk to me about that initial phase of, of taking over the business. I went for some quick wins, Stu. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, um, you got to, it, it's the old, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Um, and, and don't take too much off too early. So you walk into a business that's been established for, um, you know, 20 odd years before you got here and staff have been here for, you know, some staff have been here for 15, 16 years and, you know, they're worried what's going to happen. You know, we're going to have massive change. Are we going to lose people? Are we going to, so the first thing, the first thing that I did was just reassure people that, you know, we're on a journey and yeah, while you're here, enjoy it because, who knows how long you will be here, how long, how long that I, I might want you here. But at the moment, you know, we're a team, so let's work together. And so basically it was just spending time with people, reassuring them. I mean, these people have families to feed. You know, everyone worries about their own survival, their own, their own little tribe. So you had to give reassurance because if they weren't comfortable, they wouldn't deliver for me. No. So we spent a bit of time uh, in that area, set the... So, I mean, you've been on the same courses that I've been, Stuart, so you know about the seven S's. I do. Um, so, you know, sharing the vision, um, setting the strategy, talking about the structure that we might need. And then they sort of got a bit of an idea of my sort of style, um, what I was like, what, what I'd accept, what wasn't acceptable. So then you sort of drive culture a little bit. You know, the systems that we started to put in, in place because we had a wonderful, uh, a wonderful foundation here from a relationship perspective with clients. Um, but uh, yeah, there wasn't a great deal of back-end system, um, and that's the X-Plan story. Uh, and then you start to look at okay, so what skill sets do I have? Do I need to upskill? Do I need to move people on, giving them another opportunity? Uh, am I prepared to spend the time in upskilling? You know, or is it better just to bring new people in? Um, so the staff issue, actually, from a um, selection process, was actually at the end. So we didn't come in and go right. We don't like you. Get out. You don't. You don't look like us. You're not wearing the right type of t-shirt. Uh, we took our time in that, um, and I think that probably that probably paid out in spades because we have a lot of established relationships with clients who would have got really nervous had advisors just just moved on uh, shortly after we took over. We would have probably destabilised our business. So the transition of the key advisors, the two previous owners, took eighteen months, uh, and in that it doesn't sound like a long time, but in that time we had we had three reviews with our key clients and did transition over that three reviews to the the other upcoming the two upcoming advisors who were associates at the time that are identified as our future advisors and who are still here um that's jeremy and catherine for those of you know our business um and yes it, it it sounds really easy but unless you have the framework in your mind and you can't articulate those types of things to people across a desk they're, they're not going to come on a journey with you so um, that sort of framework, that 7S framework works really well for me and I use it a lot in my business at any time I want to make some, some changes. Love it. So here's the question I want to ask. You've come into this business, you've, you've obviously purchased it, financed it, whatever it is, and you must have been acutely aware of the fact that the relationship that the business had, may, maybe I'm wrong, was with the staff that were there, with the advisors, yeah. not necessarily with you. And you deliberately made a decision that you weren't going to step in and, and, and necessarily have to own all those relationships. Talk to me yeah. about how, how you did that because that's a tricky, that's a tricky uh, balancing act. Well, the hard thing was making the decision early on because I enjoy <laughs> spending time with people and I enjoy sitting down, telling stories, understanding. 
And I, I still do sit in some client meetings, um, not many, uh, mainly because I think advisors say I talk too much, which is uh, quite true. But, uh, I love to know our clients. Oh, from the start, I would have added an additional transition to a client relationship transition at some stage because um, if I retire at 60, which is, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know 23 years, uh, seven years away, then, um, you know, I'd have to transition relationships again. And I didn't necessarily think that would be good for clients. Yeah. Now, these clients are in their early 50s through to 60s. They're going to have 25, 30-year relationships with us. So our advisors are younger than our the clients for that, for that reason. Okay. Um, and that gives them some – and that was a deliberate choice. So, you know, our advisors are, you know, mid-30s, mid-40s and uh, just turning 50 uh, – just in early 50s. So um, – it was easy to position the expert as in Jeremy, Catherine or Rebecca as the advisor, because it wasn't going to be me. But what the comfort that I brought to those clients was that I had a understanding of how businesses operated. I had an understanding of how to manage people and yeah, we gave them in the handover. We gave them the surety that, you know, this business, one of the cornerstones of this business is sustainability and that, that we would be there as a business for them when they needed us. And so that doesn't need me to do that. You know, I don't need to be the one delivering that. So let's, um, I want to, I want to jump into X plan, uh, shortly. Cause I reckon there's, you know, you, you, are real systems thinker and I do want to get there. I've got a yeah. question I want to ask is obviously you came in and you had that blank sheet of paper and you've managed to do it by, by, by making it clear that the, the communication channels were, were not necessarily with you. But if you're an advisor on there and you're thinking, God, I wish I could start again. Do you think it's possible to transition a relationship where you're a senior advisor and everything's coming through you and transition to a team like yours. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Well, I can, t- I can tell you, I can tell you, uh, and that the most consultants ask that question and it's a good one, but it's been happening for years. Yeah. Right? Financial planning has been around a long time. Client relationships have transitioned through ages. Like it's, mm. it's not something new, right? Um, clients, Clients are very fickle. You know, that they want to know what's in it for them. Yes, they love the relationship they have with their advisor. And if you talk to advisors now about Royal Commission, most clients will say, yeah, that dodgy advisor's out there, but my bloke's really good. Yeah. <laughs> All right? So it's not um, – they value the relationship when it's there. Uh, and if you transition a relationship, you just got to make sure you understand that it's not about you, that it has to be about them. And you've got to put it in, you know, what this means to them and what the benefits are to them. And if you can answer those two questions when you do a transition, mm. clients will go on the journey with you because they understand that you're doing it for them. Um, so, yeah, it's not, you know, when I'm six foot under and long and gone and this business still exists, that I'm sure client relationships would have transitioned maybe more times. Yeah, I think if you, if you think your clients die with you when you retire, they're on the corner pulling their eyes because you're no longer there to help them. Probably says more about you than it does about them. I also want to just add to that, that you, know, you look at every study of human behavior and the way people view loss and gain, and loss is the bigger thing. Like, if you can say, look, if this is going to be better, we're improving the business. Firstly, that, that ticks that box. But also the thing is, is people are, people are naturally attuned to, well, I don't want to sort of drop out because I've invested a bunch of time. I'm, they know everything about me. I'll have to explain it to someone else. I might stick around and see how it goes. So yeah, but I think, sorry to interrupt you there, Stu, just to give some, some practical info there rather than, yeah, it, it happens. You need to have a system or a process in the delivery and the handover. Mm-hmm. Transition isn't just, here's your new advisor. And I'm sure yeah. people understand that. I'm absolutely certain. Yeah. But give me the detail. What are you going to say? Why are you going to say it? What does it mean for them? And what are the benefits for them? Because you've got to, I'm not saying you should be scripted, but you've got to be able to answer those questions and, and tell it in a story that adds value to them and understand that when you go into that meeting room, the purpose is to transition relationship. Yeah. Okay. So you, there's nothing wrong with having transition meetings. That doesn't talk about advice. Maybe you undertake the review and you have a say, and we did that with a number of key clients. We got mm. them in and we said, look, this is where we're going. This is where we're heading. This is why these are, you know, your current advisors, much as they've done a great job for you over the years, it's time for them to retire and enjoy the fruits of their labor. This is what we're about. This is what we're going to deliver for you. This is how we're going to deliver it for you. What are your questions? What are, you got any concerns? How can we work together to make sure that you're still, so take them, take them on the journey with you and they will absolutely pay you back in spades. 
because there was there was one that we had a blind spot on, and that blind spot was that um, uh, we we underestimated just the the it was a family relationship, and we underestimated the value of that relationship, uh, and we didn't give it enough attention. And the feedback was that we um, uh, the blind spot for us was the feedback was that we overlooked the value of the relationship in their right. eyes. So that meant we didn't spend enough time in the transition piece. Now we still have that client and they're still a valuable client for us. Um, but we spent time with them, thanking them for their feedback, understanding what, what actually, what they actually meant and what would they like us to do about it? So how can we, what would you like us to do in order to make sure you have that comfort level? If you deliver to that, how can they not transition with you? It's got nothing to do with advice. It's got nothing to do with, um, you know, whether you're in a pension or a super or something, super fund. It's, it's about, relationships because that's what our job is we just happen to sell financial services okay and unfortunately until we don't have product involved we still will be selling something but value of relationships is absolutely critical i'm confident that we could pick up our business and let's say we we transpose the skill set into our people somehow overnight and we'd be able to go and deliver another service because of the way that we systematize and deliver to clients need I, look, I, I agree with you on, on mo- like the majority of it. I think I just add in to say, I, I, my take on it is I think there's also a transformation piece in there. Like ultimately financial planning or, yeah. or, or most, most professional consulting is about tra- uh, or helping people to make a transformation from where they're at now to where they want to be and overcoming some of the... I'll tell you of- what, Stu. Yeah. You should run a course called Business Transformation and Business Optimization. <laughs> there's an idea for you. It's not bad. We should get. You know, we should get Jim in to do the, the expensive one. <laughs> but you're right. You you got to transform before you optimize, because if you try and do it the other way around, yeah, you're, you're quite right. It's, it's you're cutting corners effectively. Yeah. Okay. So, um, actually, let's pull a question from Justin and then let's dive into the X plan. Um, he Justin's sort of got a. He's got a similar situation to you. He's he's sort of based up in the beautiful far north Queensland, but he's got a, a wide variety of, of of clients in the area. And I think yeah. um, the opportunity is to really dominate that particular area. But to do that, obviously, niching is not necessarily the thing you can do. He's trying to build a scalable business and he's really interested in sort of the low-touch offer out there, and, which I assume is low-touch and also low-cost. You know, have you, have you had a crack at this in the business? What's your what's yeah. your view on this? So this is the old personalized <laughs> above-the-line, systemized below-the-line methodology. Mm-hmm. Below-the-line being, you know, the relationship is not personal, but it's, it's, it's with your business. Um, and uh, above the uh, above the line is very personalised, high touch type type method. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, personalised, systemised. We we do have a systemised offer to. We have a number of large corporate clients, um, which we uh, we systemise our offer to their members, um, and we use that as a downstream value to move those clients into the uh, the private retail offer. Yep. But we, we we decided that we would uh, be personalised, and so we have we work on a uh, low client number. Uh, sorry, our aim ultimately is to work on a low client number, high value fee pay model, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why we're working to roughly trying to get our client advisor numbers down to about a hundred per advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're probably a bit over that, as I said before, at the moment. So you know, advisors are under the pump <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but to do that, they've got to pay an appropriate fee. And if they don't pay an appropriate fee, you tend to top that up with systemized delivery. Yep. And I think the danger of that going forward is that to be able to demonstrate that there's a there's an advice relationship, so I'm talking like a regulator now, to demonstrate that there's an advice relationship there, you're going to need a lot of good data and you're going to be able to have to systemize, fully systemize advice delivery, which is possible in XPlan. Um but yeah, just be conscious that unless your data is is valid, up to date, um, yeah, you might struggle longer term to build a fully systemized offer. Um, that said, if you focus solely in a systemized offer, um, nothing wrong with that. It's um, if that's where your focus is, yeah, you can build some huge profitability off the back of that because technology is cheap, works twenty four seven, and it doesn't um, it doesn't take a sickie. So yeah, it's it's pretty pretty good if you can get it to work properly i'll add to that um justin we you know this justin we looked at a a model that's come from a book called hooked which is a big darling in the in silicon valley all about how to build habit forming products and ultimately the one thing we know now is that most most successful technology has an element of habit forming and dopamine and that's what gets people involved what gets them to stick around 
And I think if you're going to go down that route to, to build a low tech, the tech is important, but you can't go out and buy my prosperity and launch it to clients and expect them to use it. You've actually got to work on how can I get someone to, you know, start using it, start to, you know, continue to use it because they feel like they're getting somewhere and finally invest enough time and, and effort and data into it that they can want to continue to, to maintain it. But also I think, Shri, what, what are you trying to achieve here? You know, what are you trying to, what are you trying to deliver for your end client in a systemized world? Are you trying to make it easier for them to manage their money? Are you trying to make it easier for them to engage with your advice business? Are you trying to make it uh, easier for them to self-serve? Um, oh. You know, it's, it's, you've, there's technology for each of one of those three options. Yeah. Um, so it depends on what you want your business to be. So again, you know, what's your, what's your strategy? What's your structure going to be? Um, and again, not, neither one is right or wrong, but given that I'm a relationship driven style person, the personalized, the personalized offer is where, uh, where we want to spend our time, but to free up people's time, you need good systems. Love it. Um, hopefully that was useful, Justin. Let's talk about Xplan. Now you, you, ju- you've, you've jumped into Xplan. I was actually chatting to a couple of guys from IRS and they, your name came up. Um, what is it about your approach to using Xplan or your attitude towards it that, that differs from, frankly, so many people out there? It's easy to, sell you, to say that uh, software doesn't work when you don't spend time trying to understand what it can do for you. I still think we're only using 15 or 20% of what Xplan can actually do. Um, and there's other people uh, out there who do some wonderful things with Xplan. I just think, wow, wow, why am I not doing that? Mm. Um, and, and, but implementation takes time and we, we will uh, we'll do that. Um, you know, we work on a 30, 60, 90, 120-day process here. So mm-hmm. some of the ideas I'm working on in Xplan will gradually get released into our business over, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. Some will take 120, you know, it'll take time. Um, but ultimately, any process that is, uh, needs to be replicated, that you do time and time again in your business, um, that really shouldn't need human intervention, uh, should be automated, and you can automate it in Xplan, and you can, you can make it happen. So all it needs is a trigger, and that trigger is for somebody just to push <coughs> a button to start a thread, and the rest should take care of itself. I will add here, that we do use uh, Active Campaign as our CRM. Yep. Um, so I love Xplan for systemization financial planning. The CRM is, in my opinion, subpar. Um, and so we use Active Campaign because we can run automations off the back of that. Um, so if you're familiar with that, you, if some of you have ever logged into a website, you've gone to a shopping cart and you didn't complete the order, two days later you get an automated email saying, oh, you haven't completed your shopping cart, click mm-hmm. here, the, that type of thing. That's an active campaign style automation. That's intuitive. Um, and it's all done through setting up of rules and processes, et cetera. And X plan is the same, except that it's quite, it's, it's technical in the sense of it's around, um, it's not, uh, uh, it's time-based triggers as opposed to event-based triggers, yeah. which is what a, a CRM is. Perfect. So what are the, what are the main things that you have, have managed to sort of get your head around and apply X plan? So well, well, I think most, most of us, most of us do reviews, right? Uh, we, we're probably spending more and more time doing reviews, taking more and more time to do reviews, uh, unfortunately. Um, so we're trying to automate our whole review process. I reckon we're 60, 70% of the way there. So automation is from, um, you know, picking up the review date, sending the email to invite the client, uh, sending web-based links for people to complete data to return to you. If that data doesn't get returned, automated email follow-ups. Um, yeah. If that order, if that information doesn't come back, cancellation of appointments. Um, so all that stuff is automated in our business. It's yeah. not, you know, it's, it doesn't. We just set the appointment, and and the triggers will take care of themselves. Okay. Um, I recently worked with Michael Kinnins from uh, from Iris around automating our third-party authority process. So, um, you know, using barcoding in, in Xplan. And um, I'm still learning a little bit about that. So it's not, I can't tell you that that's really working in our business at the moment. But, <laughs> you know, we're trying to automate that process so that when third-party authorities expire, um, they automatically, or they're about to expire, the client automatically gets a notification to fill out the form to renew it. It comes back into X-Plan via email. It, X-Plan notices that, scans it, 
sends a reminder to the fund manager to say, here's the uh, third-party authority signed by the client. Mm-hmm. Please add it to your um, – and that's automated. We don't touch it. And it just registers against the client uh, against the client's uh, folder as a, as a note. Now, that's something new. That's part of our 306090 that we're working through at the moment to implement. Um, that technology has been around XPlan for years. All right. So it's just knowing that what you can do and how you can do it. And to be fair, I don't know how to code XPlan. I know what I want it to do. I've got an engineering background, so I like process. Um, I give that to uh, a coder, uh, some of our work, and say, here, process, I want you to build those templates and, and put it into XPlan for me. Because guess what? It's not worth my time trying to work out how to do it. Yes, it costs me, but it saves me money in the long time. This is what I understand. You come in, you got X-Plan. I mean, you, you, wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been an X-Plan guru when you came out of Hillrocks, would you? No, but I, I'm, I like tech. So what did you do? Just to, get in there and start playing fair. with it? Did you start like, I mean, how much of an expert did you have? No, to- I, I, you don't have to be an expert. That's the thing. You just need to know what you want it to do. And then you find the experts to build it for you. Okay. So, you know, I wanted to automate this process. So I spoke to, I went to advisors who I knew were using X-Plan. Said, show me, show me what you do. How do you do it? I had, oh, gee, okay. How did you do that? Oh, we use this person to do that. Great. <coughs> Can you introduce me? Okay. So um, we we just we we just build our networks. Um, we spend a lot of time with our uh, our business, talking to our staff about you know the old post-it note system where you build your process out. Yeah. Um, you know what are the issues, and then as you build it, so don't wait till it's perfect. Just build the bloody thing, test it. You'll find holes in it. That'll help you fix it and enhance it. So even now, with some of the new compliance regimes that are coming, we're fine. Our thread and our trust need to be up to account COVID, and that's really easy to do, adding into a process. Um, so you'll get to a stage where you can do that yourself because you'll get a bit of an understanding. But if you don't know how to build a thread, just tell somebody who knows how to build a thread what you want it to do and build it for you. Um, it's, not, it's not an overly difficult process and not overly expensive either how much how much does it cost to hire just once you know what you want to go and find somebody who can do it for you well i can tell you i can tell you our total x-plan cost so far yeah. uh with deployment training development is probably nudging 30 grand um but if you just want someone to develop a thread for you uh or you know it, it's it's I, I don't know 1200 bucks you know for a full review process simple review process it's not it's not over difficult but, I mean, you could do it yourself, but it depends how long you want to spend doing it. Um, okay. But you spend the money once. Yeah. The process delivers every time. And so you don't have to continually keep redoing stuff. So if, you've, if you're in your business and you're doing, you're drafting the same email three, I mean, it's a stupid analogy, so I apologize. But if you're drafting the same email three times, you know, by the third time, you're an idiot, you know, <laughs> template it, you know, <laughs> template it yeah. and just make it happen. Because it's a waste of time. Or even just, you know what, when you're sending it out, you, most email tools will let you tag an email now. So just tag it. Yeah. And then the team grab it. Every, and every month they go and just clean up and they go, oh, we've got seven templates you wrote. Because you're sat in there going, I just wrote the, the war and peace of first appointment summaries. Get it. Grab it. Well, without, without scaring everyone, we've got, uh, we've got close to 85 email templates in XPlan for different things. Yep. And we've got uh, 15 different threads and probably off the back of that, close to 100 different tasks. So it takes time to build up that sort of library, um, but you just got to start because um, if you're slow to automation, uh, if you're not automating it, that means someone in your business is doing it, which means it's costing you more money than it's costing a robot to do it. It's like that. Um, yeah, I was going to show you. We built this web page. I'm not, I'm not sure if it might come up now. But you, this is how you don't even have to have it. This is a this is a page that we built. It's got all of our most common emails, and all you have to do is like click on it, and it brings up. It talks to your email client. So I mean, like when you actually get your head around it, you know, this booking discovery session. Because I mean, this is the whole thing. So many people end up writing the same bloody email over and over again. Here we go. So even if you don't, you don't want to sort of start by putting it into the software, this is, yeah, it's a tool we have, our Derek can messages. Again, I can just yeah. go discovery session, allow it. There you go. It's opened it in my email client and that's ready to go. I can fill it in. Same deal with yeah. canceling the appointment. Bang. So I'll tell you what we do there, Stu. We don't allow, on some of our templates, we don't allow edit. So, so you just, it, picks, 
It picks okay. up the advisor in X Planet will pick up the advisor who's sending it. So their advisor name goes in. Yeah. Standard text. It has the recipient's <laughs> name in. So dear Stewie, um, you know, or whatever you like to be known as, you know, Ericsson. About or, Mr. Bell's fine. You know, Mr. Kane or whatever. Okay. So, um, and then that just goes. Yeah. So you, what, 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 I know you, you might want, there might be something you might want to add, right? So I want to add an extra note in there. I want to do that. So with some of our templates, we allow prompts to occur, but in most yeah. we don't. And I th- can I just add that? I think it's important that like a lot of people come and say, I want, I want to do this with the X plan. I, I want to get them to do this with the templates. Classic one is I, I you know, I want to have a direct, uh, uh, I want to have a, a fact find that people can go online and fill in. And I'm going, do you know what? Sometimes the easiest way to do a fact find with a client is jump onto an online meeting, bring, bring X plan up on screen and run through it with them. You can do that in an hour of their time, an hour of your time, and everybody's out there trying to build all these online input fact finds, ignoring the fact yeah. that... I'm- I, I've, got, I've, got fairly strong, I've got a fairly strong view on this one. Okay. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Sorry. But, um, uh, if I was a new client of an advisor and you sent me a 24-page form to fill out, I'll tell you to get started. So that's not how to build a relationship. So we come into the meeting with a notebook and a pen and paper because we want to talk to you. From that process, we'll work out what we have to do for you um, and we'll then issue you with the terms of engagement that'll tell you what we think we can do and what it will cost. Unless you engage me, I'm not doing any bloody work. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree with you. And we're actually actually starting to charge for our first appointment as well. So um, we're getting to the stage where... (coughs) Uh, whether we have really good relationship clients, uh, our business development is good, our referral rate is high, um, and we we can in a position now where we can select people in, or allow themselves to select them out. Um, either they won't want to pay the fee. Um, yeah, we might miss an opportunity or two. But, you know, I won't. I will never know that, will I? So I'm not going to waste time worrying about it. But I think um, you know, spending too much time up front. Uh, and again, from what I people do well, those who do it well from that process and it works for their client base, those who don't do it well spend a lot of time at the front end and don't really get an engagement. Um, you know, they're living on the hope of getting a fee at some sort of future. Yep. So, you know, be transparent, be upfront about it, tell them what it's going to cost you. Uh, our minimum fee is five grand. Um, yep. And yeah, if you don't want to pay that, I, I totally respect that, but you need to find someone else. Fair enough. Uh, Matt wants to know, have you been able to get active campaigns to integrate with X-Plan for file netting? No, not yet. Um, and that's not because of active campaign. That's because of, um, that's because of the open, IPA, open API issues in X-Plan. Uh, it is going to happen, though. I've been speaking to both Iris and active campaign. <coughs> and, um, yeah, that CRM functionality is going to happen. They've told me that will be this year, but I don't know how true that is. Cool. Not sure why, why file netting, though. Uh, because you, the your emails will go as a, as a file note into Excel. Okay, correspondence. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, got right. Because if you're doing file, you know, you know my view. Audio file note is the way to go. Yeah. Uh, Jenna, how do you handle change management with tech systems? With good question, Jenna. How do you handle change management with tech systems and staff? She's found uh, that support staff usually embrace it more than the advisors. So I've introduced threads into two businesses successfully already, and a mid implementation with a third one. She's just curious. She's just curious about communication or change management options. Great question. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Advisors are a pain in the ass, aren't they? Um, because, you know, they always want to do it their way and their way is the only way. And um, they've been doing it this way for years and it's not going to work, right? Um, you've got to position it with them around, the, again, the benefits to them. By implementing this system, adopting this system, it's going to give them what? And for each advisor, it'll be different. Some advisors will give them more time. That time might be they might be able to get home earlier, spend time <coughs> with family. That time might be that allow them to actually get through their workload. That time might be that they can yeah. spend more time with their high-end client. Tell them what the benefit is to them. Love it. If they still don't adopt it, find a champion. Find somebody who has adopted it, is getting some wins, and, you know, highlight those. You know, I play favourites here. Right? I don't have a big team, but I play favourites. When people are doing the right thing, you know, we praise in public, criticism in private. You know, we, we make a big deal about it. So, uh, and eventually, if they're still not on board, find someone else because that's a culture issue. It's, it's interesting. I, mean, I imagine you do the same thing you've got underperforming player. You wouldn't yeah. make them feel okay about it. You'd make them realize that they're I, out. The I, I, had a very, I had a scenario in one of the uh, state teams that, that I coached a few years back. Um, and the number nine, who's the goal scorer, was our best player, but was an absolute cancer. 
he was just terrible and we had to cut him and the stick we got because of that because he was you know he was quite a high profile everyone knew he was a great player we didn't take him to the national championships which we ultimately won but that player harmony as a result of doing that was sensational Mm. And you cannot have, you cannot be held hostage for one person in your business. And often I often tend to find it, it's the person at front desk that is doing that. But anyway, that's a separate mm. discussion. That's interesting. Attaboy, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, can, can, uh, Matt was wondering if you can speak a little bit about your referral process. Yeah. Well, we just ask, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, we ask any every opportunity. So uh, it's on our email footers. It's on every bit of correspondence that goes out. We share the successes of their referrals, so we uh, and we we reward our referrers, a couple of movie tickets or something, nothing too flash. Um, but yeah, we spend a lot of time with our people, so you know, why would they not want to see the benefits for their friends and family that they receive? So, um, you know, it's not it's not hard. If 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 they're not referring to you, they, then there's something that's happening in their relationship with you that is stopping them referring. So that's through the client process. So it's just embedded in our process. We ask every and, and, and every opportunity, uh, no matter whether they referred or not. Uh, my role in business development is spending a bit of time with accountants, solicitors, uh, mortgage brokers, um, just general people in the industry. So there are some advisors that refer to us as well. Um, so it's, again, it's about relationships. Can you, are people prepared to hand over uh, their relationship to you, trusting that you will deliver to that relationship and not damage theirs. If you can position your offer to demonstrate that, it, it, it really is really not hard. It's really not nice hard. As they give, give them a reason to refer. People refer their friends because they don't want to do a friend, favor for their friends, not, not as a favor for you. So if you can arm them with, you know, a re- something I noticed in a conversation about, you know, something that you can do or help with, that's a good way of doing it. So yeah, it's, it's again, um, it's what's in it for them. What's the benefit? Totally. Uh, Peter wants to know what's your favorite cup of coffee? Is that Nonna's? <laughs> yeah. Is that Peter Nonnamaker's asked that question, hasn't yeah, he? Good on you, Nonna's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> love you, mate. I haven't seen you for a long time. Uh, <laughs> he knows the story. So I'll tell you quickly. My favorite coffee is a short black. And that came about from um, my son, Tim, when he was six or seven, was out for lunch with my wife. And uh, they were taking coffee orders. And um, he said to my wife, why don't you have a Chrissy Yenna, mum? She says, what? Have a Chrissy Yenna, you know, a short black. So um, ever since then, my favourite coffee has been a short black. So, yeah, it's very good. Well remembered, Nonis. Well, Peter. Um, His other question is, how do you something and what minimum fee set? maybe, Maybe it's how you work out the fee you charge and what's your minimum fee. Okay, yeah. So we have done we have done the old process of working backwards, working out what the costs of doing our doing our business, etc. We do job costs, so we don't sit down and go. It costs X for this, X for this, X for this. What would you like? Therefore, your fee is this. Our minimum fee is five. We know that if you've got a family trust, a corporate structure, you know that adds some complexity. Your fee might be twelve and a half. So we job cost it based on experience, uh, knowing that the level of work we need to undertake. Uh, we don't sit there and itemize, itemize costs. I have been asked to itemize my cost and I've, I've refused. So that's the cost of doing business with us. I understand some people like to have an itemized bill. We don't provide one. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, George has got a question here, uh, which is, how, if you're going to buy a business, if you're going to buy another business, would, sorry, let me start again. Would you buy another business or would you choose to grow organically? Well, George, I think there's going to be massive opportunity. So I'd say I'd be looking to buy. I think there's going to be, but I also think there's massive opportunity to buy competency because I think there's going to be a lot of good staff up for grabs in the next two to three years. Um, and I think buying competency is far more important for me than buying another business. So competency will help me grow more organically. Um, and I don't necessarily need to grow more organically. I probably need to be able to leverage our existing base better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I would buy another business if culturally it was a good fit for us. Um, okay. And if that came with some good competency, that would be an absolute bonus for us. Um, but yeah, we're 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 in the bushes having a look because we think there's going to be there's going to be some great opportunity in the in the next few years. Yeah, I was having this conversation at the accelerator, and we were just saying, look, we can talk about prices, but pricing of businesses. And but at the end of the day, a business comes along, great people, great systems, great marketing, engaged clients. You know the price you're gonna you're gonna pay premium for it regardless of whether yeah it's, absolutely yeah it's because you're buying the the model. 
Matt wants to know, what's your opinion on institutional versus self-licensing moving forward? Good question, Matt. Good question, Matt, especially as we just got our own license in December. Um, look, I've, I've been in the institutional space for a long time. <laughs> I, I can see the value that they deliver on scale. Yeah. Um, so there's, but I think that world is ending. I think their cost structure is, 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 is under threat, which is why you're seeing a lot of those in big institutions exit wealth or looking to exit wealth. Uh, as a result, I think um, those that are looking to sell will just keep their costs low. Uh, those that are looking to survive will be leveraging up their costs to advisors. Um, yeah. Look, for, again, for me uh, personally, it came down to a cultural thing. Um, I was happy where I was. I wasn't necessarily unhappy. It just got to a stage where, you know, I, the value set for me wasn't aligned. And so when you don't have relevance or alignment or both, it's time to move on. And that's in any relationship, in my opinion. Um, so I lost alignment with my licensee. And so if I was going to change, I decided to get our own license. And the reason that we did that is that we just feel we're an established business with good, strong processes. Um, um, we can manage the risks. Uh, we can take a little bit more control over our outcomes. Uh, and ultimately, we think we can deliver better outcomes to our clients as a result. So that was the rationale for us. I don't think one is better than the other. It depends solely on your business. My, my business wasn't ready to get its own license two years ago. I was. I, I was ready to go. I wanted to move. But I think I would have blown my business up had I done that. We didn't have the right people and the right structure to do it. So I had to wait and, and build that. Um, so, yeah, just... You have to be careful what you're running away from sometimes as opposed to what you're running to. Um, neither is wrong. I just think you need to find what's right for you. I also think you're good with the detail, uh, Chris, and you're happy to, to manage things and you've got, you, you know, you're happy to play that role. And I think um, if you're a business, you're going to have to self-licensing. You got, I think you've got to be comfortable diving in and, and really taking care of that. Yeah, it, I can tell you, if I was being an advisor and trying to transition a license, uh, I reckon I would have gone mad because... It's taken us four months. I mean, fund managers are notoriously paper-based. It takes a long time to do stuff. And managing that process, taking those calls, if I was still having to deal with clients, I just don't think I'd have been able to do it. Yeah. Mate, this has been really, really insightful. I want to ask you one final question. If you're an advisor and you're listening and you, you're, not, you're, not, you know, you're one of those advisors using the 15% of X plan, where would you, which part of the software system would you go, you know what, master this, get on top of that, that's going to give you the biggest bang for buck? Okay, so st I would say to you, start with this in mind. Look at people first, then process, then profit. If you start driving process without thinking about the people, you might not get some profit, but you might not have a lot of people on the bus with you. If you just focus on delivering to what your people want, <coughs> you, you'll have shed loads of processes and maybe not much profit. So... Understand what you need to deliver first. Think about how you're going to deliver it. Build that, as in build the, the overview, the structure, the straw man, whatever you want to use, and then find somebody to explain it for you because mm. you will lose your mind trying to do it yourself. So I want to systemize my review process. What does that mean? That means I want this to happen here, this to happen here, this to happen here. Great. Can you go build it? That's all you need to do. You just need to be the architect. You're not the builder. Just be the architect of your, of your system, find somebody else to build it, yep. and then get a gardener in to come and cut the grass every now and then. It's not hard. Build it on a whiteboard, build it in Excel, hand it off, and then yeah. you're done. Yeah, but be clear, be clear, because a person who picks it up will deliver to whatever's in that little post-it note. Sure. Yep. Dude, this has been ex absolutely um, enlightening. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. I'm going to pop that Pleasure. chat. Uh, if you do want to engage with Chris, talk to him about how he's done it, shortcut some of your journey, grab the chat with him. He, he's, yeah, he's in, yeah, you'll have, you'll have a great discussion. And can I say, Stu, also, if, if we haven't hit the mark for you or if there's a question you wanted to ask that you haven't, you can, you can just get on there and, and tell me what your question, you can book the time, but tell me what your question Absolutely. is so that when we do catch up, we can make sure that we're, we're helping you. Um, like I said, I'm happy to give back. Um, but also shout out to you, Stewie. I have um, I have engaged you from time in your in your business, and uh, I think uh, the biggest learning for me is that you can't do it on your own. You do need help along the way, as as all good players need good coaches. Um, yep. And yeah, it's um, it's a team effort. So don't don't try and do it all on your own. Uh, it's it's too hard. 
it's too hard. Oh, ditto, mate. I mean, from the moment I landed in Hill Ross, you were very kind with your time and your support and, and you know, also helped me develop some thick skin, which was good. But um, we've, <laughs> we've, we've had the opportunity to work together, see some, like Jim, we spoke about Jim the early, he was one of the, my, my inspirations for doing what I do. So long may it continue. Yeah, terrific. Thank you. Dude, thank Hope you we've so helped much. you. Um, here's to Sunday, fingers crossed, and uh, come on. So come Monday, but um, man, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Uh, to everybody else out there, I uh, hope this has been useful. Um, please, if it has, pass it on. If you, if you know somebody who's struggling with this, uh, feel free to sort of direct them to YouTube. We'll pop this on there. If there's somebody that's struggling with this and you think they could benefit from talking to Chris, please do that as well. Right. If you want the detail, book a time. I'm happy to share. Yeah, exactly. He really is. So, uh, Excellent. Let's leave it there. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. Chris, enjoy it. And I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Thank you, Stu. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate your Bye. time. So there you have it. Another Finnovation for the week. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Chris. Football analogies aside, uh, I think, yeah, some of what we talked in here talks the heart of what I love, which is how do you take a great business and leverage it, systematize it, use technology well, and a whole bunch more to free yourself, your team, to do what you love most. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, can I just make one suggestion? There's a great book all about uh, habits and implementation. It's by James Clear and it's called Atomic Habits. And I learned this and I've applied it to my coaching and whenever I do it, I get the best results. And this is it. You just If you heard something that you like from this and you want to make it happen, you don't just want to listen, you want to implement it. I want you to write down three things. What it is you want to achieve. Uh, that's the key bit, defining the task. The second bit is when are you going to do it? That's giving yourself a deadline, which kind of means that you move out of procrastination and you get into doing. The final bit's the most key. This is the one that'll get you from being 30% likely to achieve to 90%. And that's define where you're going to start and what you're going to have around you. Like literally picture the physical location when you sit down and work on your marketing or build your first system or decide on your uh, technology you're gonna use. And it's that visualization that's gonna change any, everything. Uh, hopefully this has been useful. As always, if you uh, would like some help, uh, you're interested in our coaching program, if you're interested in what I do, head over to audere.com.au, A-U-D-E-R-E, and check out our programs, or alternatively, just register for our mailing list, and I'll give you some more free stuff that we put out there every week. Uh, Other than that, I'll see you in the next few, or next week, I should say, for the next uh, episode of Finnovation. In the meantime, have a great week, and stay safe.